0: Welcome back. Let's uh, find our places and uh, let's get ready. We're going to study the Bible a little bit today. Um, let me just say as you're getting back to your places, how thankful I am that we here at First Baptist Church have the privilege. It's truly, I hope you understand the privilege that it is to be able to partner with godly men and women who are reaching people all over the world. What a, what a blessing that is. And uh, Shannon Elizabeth We'll, well, they'll be available at the end of the service out in the lobby. You can chat with them if you, if you desire to do that. That'll be a, that'll be a great thing. Um, we're going to be looking in the book of Colossians today, and uh, so you may want to open your Bibles there and kind of get ready for that. I I got a couple of thoughts that were on my mind as I was thinking through this subject, and um, I don't know about you. I guess everybody's different, but my guess is probably most all of you would, would agree. I, I mean, I really, it, it bothers me. If I give somebody something to do, I mean, I have the authority to do that on occasion, and they, and they don't do it. I mean, doesn't that bother you? Amen. Doesn't it bother you when, thank you, man, <laughs> yes. Doesn't it bother you when, even if it's not your direct assignment, but I mean, people have responsibilities, and they're around you, they, it affects you, and when they don't do their job, I mean, it, it's just kind of irritating. On the other hand, if you're like me and most people, you probably get great fulfillment from doing the things that are on your list to do. So whether you literally write out a checklist or a to-do list or whatever the case might be, when you are able to finish a task and check it off your list and say, man, and if by chance you're at a day of work and you got four or five things off your list today. And that's a good day, right? I mean, you feel really good about having completed some things that are important to do. Well, what we want to do is kind of take that thought and roll it into a ministry context and talk about finishing the task that is set before us. And, and it's fair to ask the question, is it, is it ever really possible, really, to finish the task that the Lord has given us to do? I want you to think about that. Okay, so we're going to start out with this thought, and it's in your notes, is that the work of the Lord, literally, scripturally, is to make disciples of all nations, right? I mean, you can boil it down and define it any number of ways, and there's a lot of little details that we carry out, but ultimately, the work of the Lord. It's the Great Commission. It's its making disciples. Of all nations. So wherever you are, you make disciples. And wherever Christians are, they make disciples. And look, that being the case and understanding what the Bible says, we understand that that work, the work of the Lord, it's never going to be complete until the Lord comes back, right? When he comes back and he puts an end to it and he establishes his kingdom, well then, the work of making more disciples is done, because God said it's done, and he he came back. But as long as we're around, and we get up every morning, and we go through our day, and we go to bed at night, and we get up the next morning, I mean, there's always more work to be done in the work of the Lord, right? Well, don't let that discourage you, because on, on the other side, the positive spin on that thought is the fact that, in my mind anyway, it's really good news. No matter how long I'm around, no matter how much I do, no matter what I have a chance to be involved in, the good news is there's always more to do. There's always more significant, purposeful things to throw my life at. And so if you're here, and, and, and maybe you're older, or maybe you have had health issues, or maybe you're thinking for some reason, my capacity to contribute has been diminished. Listen, as long as God has still got you here, there's something significant that you can do. And, and that's an encouragement, I hope. So if the work of the Lord is just never really going to be done until the Lord finishes it up, um, why is it that we see people stop doing what they're doing? Some people go on and do something else, and some people just stop. Why do we see that? Could there possibly be an explanation? Is there a way that we can wrap our minds around this and understand specifically what God expects from us, we want to be obedient. We want to please him, right? So our text is near the very end of the book of Colossians. It's it's almost the last verse. It's the second to last verse in the entire book. Colossians 4 and just verse number 17, where it says, And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. That's going to be the text that we're going to look at today. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. So, Heavenly Father, as we come before your word today, I do pray that through this story that you will define for us of your admonition to this man, Archippus, that we will understand better what it means to do the job that you have given us to do and to understand, is it possible to really finish it? Is there something to it? What about people who quit doing one thing and maybe do something else? How does that all fit in? Holy Spirit, please, be our teacher today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so let me just give you a little bit of background. If you have your Bibles open, you can just glance up, and we're not going to read the whole chapter number four, but basically starting in verse number seven down to the end, as Paul frequently does, he kind of wraps up this letter to the church in Colossae with a bunch of salutations and greetings and greet this one and greet that one and, you know, tell this guy he borrowed my hat. No, he didn't say that. But he says stuff like, you know, whatever. He Greet greet all these cool guys that are friends of mine that I ain't seen in a long time. And so, you know, he runs through these names and, you know, when you're reading through the Bible faithfully and hopefully you're doing that, this is the part where your eyes just zoom to the end. You don't bother really reading it. I know you do that. And... But God included it in his word, which means there's got to be a reason that he included it. There's got to be something to this. There's got to be something that we can potentially learn, okay? So in the long list of all the people that he's just giving these greetings and salutations to, we come near the end and we get this guy named Archippus. Now, one of the things I want you to notice is just before we get to verse number 17, go ahead and look with me, for example, in verse number 13. It says, for I bear him record that he has a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus in the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, again, this is to the Colossians, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Okay, so... We have this theme that in the book of Colossians, we see the church in Laodicea referenced several times. In fact, this is the only other place in scripture besides that place in Revelation chapter 3 where Jesus Christ specifically, in the last part of Revelation 3, writes the letter to the church of the Laodiceans. The only other place we see the Laodiceans is here in Colossae. And so with that, we've got to draw some parallels, So with the admonition that comes right on the heels of making sure the Laodiceans read this, he says and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. I can't help but conclude, and this is in your notes as well, that in Laodicea... In other words, the Laodicean age kind of defines the time frame in which we live right now. A lot of you already know that. Some of you may not know that. But the Laodicean time frame represents an age at the end of the church age in which we live. In Laodicea, too many people quit without finishing. Too many people are quitting the task that God has given them to do without ever really running it to its conclusion. And that's sad. That's a, really pro- that's, a, that's a big problem. And so you don't want to be that person at the judgment seat of Christ who has to give an account of your life, having lived through, yes, it's not your fault, the time frame which happens to be characterized by Laodicea, but having fallen prey to the spirit of the age, which is trying to drag you down and cause you to forsake the responsibilities that God has given to you without carrying them out to its fulfillment. So today what we're going to do is we're going to learn how to finish our work that God has given us to do. And that's the title I've given it, finish your work. So the first way that we're going to break this down and look at it, and we're going to look at it in three different ways because it's not a sermon unless you got three points. So the first one is about the person of Archippus, the person of Archippus. And say to Archippus, so we got to take a minute and we've got to try and figure out who is this guy, okay, Well, there's only only one other place in all the Bible where his name is referenced, and that happens to be in the tiny little book of Philemon, and we'll look more at Philemon as we go on today, but Philemon only has one chapter, and it starts out in verse number one where it says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. And so Paul launches into this little book of Philemon. Again, we'll talk more about it in a minute. But just understand that Archippus, and so this is in your notes, was a believer in the church that met in Philemon's house. That's one thing we know about Archippus, because he sends to Philemon. Philemon is the recipient of this letter. He greets him and other key individuals that are in the church that happens to meet in the house So Archippus was a believer in the church that met in Philemon's house. We know that the church is located in Colossae. Okay, this book is the book of Colossians, but interestingly enough, so if you were to go back to Colossians 4 and start in verse number 7, it says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts with Onesimus a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you they shall make known unto you all things which are done here so paul writes this letter from rome in prison to the church which is in colosse and he mentions a couple of guys tychicus and a guy named onesimus Now, Onesimus is going to pop up in Philemon in just a second. So the idea is is that as he's sending this letter to Colossae, he's sending it by the hands of Onesimus, saying, he is one of your own. And as we'll see in a minute, he's also a part of Philemon's church as well. So that's kind of what's going on. Uh, The other thing you can know about this scenario okay, that affects um, Archippus is that Colossae was a twin city with Laodicea. So if you were to open, you know, the 67th book of your Bible, the book of maps, and look in there and find the right one, you can find that Colossae and Laodicea, I mean, they're, you know, Dover and New Philly. I mean, they're just, they're stuck together. So um, they had high school rivalries. They had everything. And uh, it was really, it was really weird. So he sends this letter with Tychicus and Onesimus Um, As it turns out, as we'll see in a second, that Onesimus was actually a slave uh, owned by and serving Philemon. Philemon would have been a wealthy man. He would have had servants, and Onesimus was one of those guys. Um, So we'll see why that's important in just a minute. So Archippus is called a fellow soldier with Paul. So we get back to our text. And Archippus, it says, is a fellow soldier, as we saw in, in Philemon. And so that's really something to note because he's not a soldier-soldier. Paul was in the Sanhedrin. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was trained in theology and religion. Paul wasn't in the army. So these are fellow soldiers in the gospel. There's no question about it. And so I did some study as to the different ways that God uses the word fellow something." And there's a lot of different terms, and as you research fellow star on your Bible program, okay, and find out what falls out, there are nine different terms that fall out that God uses to describe different people with the different tasks that they carry out fellow together with other people in the body of Christ, and and the nine different terms, in my opinion, break into three specific categories, and I want to kind of lay that out for you, so the nine terms, and, and you can jot these down or not, you can just listen, there are fellow citizens, there's fellow heirs, there's fellow disciples, there's fellow workers, there's fellow laborers, fellow helpers, fellow servants, I know I'm going kind of fast, but you can find this on your own, it's easy, fellow prisoners, and fellow soldiers, in case you're trying to keep up, fellow citizens, heirs, disciples, workers, laborers, helpers, servants, prisoners, soldiers. Now, without going into a ton of time to do this, if you just think about those terms, and I listed them in an order on purpose, that the first three, a fellow citizen, a fellow heir, and a fellow disciple, you, you kind of just inherit that when you come to Christ. You, you're, you're an heir with Christ, you're a citizen in the family, you become a student of the life of Jesus Christ. So, you know, that's kind of the first group, just the, just the inherited traits that come when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. The next category it would be fellow workers, laborers, helpers, servants. Notice that these guys now, they're, they're not just, they haven't just received a status. They're now actually active in their faith. They're actually doing something. So they're working, laboring, helping, and serving, right? together with others. And the last category would be the last two, and I put them in there because it really denotes a level of sacrifice and suffering, fellow prisoners and fellow soldiers. I mean, these people are really sacrificial for the cause of Christ in the, in the battle of the Lord. Well, that shouldn't surprise us. We've seen this over and over again here. As if you've been with us regularly in our church and we study the Bible, there are consistently through the Scripture three levels or three categories of Christian discipleship and growth. And so as we look at some of these, I just have a few references you can look at. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 14 The Bible talks about three different groups. There are some who are the called. There are others who are the chosen. And yet there's another group that's the faithful. Because everybody can be called, but not everybody's chosen unless they respond to the call. And you could be called and chosen, but not necessarily faithfully carry out the task that is given you to do. In Mark chapter 4 and verse number 8, it's the parable of the soils and the sower. And he talks about the fruit that will spring forth. Some will be 30-fold, some will be 60-fold and some will be a hundredfold. In 1 John chapter 2, and verse 13, talking about spiritual growth and development, it refers to believers as either little children, young men, or fathers. So if we put all that together, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that if Archippus is called a fellow soldier, that that means he would have been, without a doubt, a mature believer. Archippus is not a child in the faith. He is not one who is just in training. Archippus is a fellow soldier. He would have demonstrated suffering. He would have demonstrated sacrifice. He would have been a leader. He would have been in that third category of believers who would have proven himself to have been faithful, a hundredfold believer, a father in the faith. He's a fellow soldier for the Lord. Why is that significant? Well, that's significant because we tend to expect more from people who are of that level, don't we? I mean, he is going to be encouraged, he's encouraged in this verse, hey, Archippus, don't quit, okay, to paraphrase. Well, it's never right or approvable for somebody just to quit, but if it happens to a baby Christian, you're kind of like, okay, Uh, you know, they're still figuring it out. But man, a guy who's a fellow soldier? And he has to be told, take heed to the ministry that you fulfill it? I mean, should he really need an exhortation to finish? I mean, shouldn't he really know that already? Well, that's kind of who Archippus is. That's the totality of the revelation that we can get by looking at the words that are used and the times that his name is mentioned. So let's go to the next point because really this is what it's all about and I'm calling it the preoccupation of Archippus. Because back in chapter 4 and verse 17, it tells him, take heed. Hey, Archbishop, take heed. In other words, hey, look, hey, pay attention. God's trying to get his attention. He's trying to tell him, look, you need to, you need to notice what it is you're doing. Something went wrong. What is that? What went wrong? What happened to Archipus? Well, there's no question. Again, 4.17 Take heed to the ministry that thou hast received in the Lord. So obviously, Archippus is a guy who has received a specific ministry task. He received it in the Lord. He's called a fellow soldier. He was in the battle together with Paul. But somehow, in the course of his journey, he lost his focus. He lost his vision. He lost his ability to see exactly where he's at and what he's supposed to be doing because the Lord is saying to him through Paul, Hey, take (laughs) heed. Pay attention. You lost your focus. Now, we don't really know for sure. I would say that it's not likely. Okay, so just put that in the not likely category. That he probably departed completely into the world and into sin. That's not the case. Because the Holy Spirit emphasizes the ministry that thou hast received in the Lord. He's still plugged in. There's people like Demas that have forsaken this this. Uh, the ministry and have gone back to the world. Okay, so God, you know, is able to call out people who actually go that far. Archippus is not one of those guys, okay? But what we see is, is that Archippus really probably just got carried away with somebody else's ministry responsibility, which was never given to him as his ministry responsibility. You see the emphasis in that verse? Take heed to the ministry that thou hast received, that thou fulfill it. In other words, don't preoccupy yourself with the ministry activities that I have given to that guy and that guy and that gal. You have your job to do. Finish your job before you start worrying about everybody else's. You see where we're going with this thing? Pretty obvious, isn't it? Oh, You're tracking, you're smart people. Okay, good. But this is a problem, because here's what happens to Christian people, yea, even mature Christian people. We get so consumed with the importance of what we're giving our lives to. And we are big-picture people. And we see others out there not pulling their weight. Or we see others out there getting caught up in maybe sin, or just doing things, and we think to ourselves... We must defend the family name, or whatever the case might be. And, and, and we have to defend the faith. And, we, and so we begin to cross the boundary and, to put it in the vernacular, stick our nose in somebody else's business. And God tells Archippus, a, a mature Christian leader, one who has suffered and sacrificed a fellow soldier, Hey, man, do your job. Do your job. That's an important thing. So what could this distraction have been? He obviously got distracted, right? So if we're going to find out, just like we found out who Archpus is, we've got to go to the Bible. The Bible's the book of life. The Bible has all the answers, right? I mean, if the answer isn't in the Bible, then, I mean, I mean, who really cares what I think or anybody else thinks? I mean it doesn't really matter, does it I mean we've got to find out what it's all about. So now's your chance to go ahead and flip over to the little book of Philemon. And so it's just a few books to the right, and you'll find it in there. It's the last little letter before you get to the epistle of the Hebrews. And we're not going to read it, although it's very short, and you could read it yourself very quickly. It's only 25 verses. I'm just going to pull a few verses out. But the story of Philemon is the story of the Apostle Paul writing a letter back to this man who was obviously a wealthy man. He had a slave whose name is Onesimus. The slave Onesimus ran away from Philemon, like a lot of slaves probably wanted to. And in the course of doing that, he got caught, he got arrested, was put in prison, happened to be set in prison together with none other than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul leads him to the Lord. And he leads him to the Lord, and he sends him back to Philemon. And he writes the letter to Philemon, to help smooth over the whole situation because basically he knows that Philemon's not really thrilled about this series of events and Onesimus, you know, ditching out on his responsibilities. So Onesimus is a slave. For example, you can look in verse number 16. I just got a few verses. It says, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He ran away. Ended up in prison with Rome, like I said. You see that in verse number 10. I beseech thee for my son, Paul's writing this, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. So they're shackled together, and Paul's got nothing else to do. Hey, man, you ever heard of Jesus? And he just does the deal, and he gets saved. It's awesome. Philemon is obviously cheesed about this whole thing. He's not happy. Um, we see in verse 18, Paul says, as he writes this letter, if he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee ought, which obviously Onesimus owes Philemon something for ditching out, Paul says, hey, put that on my account. Put it on my In other words, I know you're mad. I know you feel like you deserve some retribution. Look, man, just, just put it on my account. And so, you know, listen, he's trying to smooth it over. He's trying to set this thing up. And and all I want to do is just remind you that this is between Paul and Onesimus and Philemon. Archippus is just another dude in that church who, oh, yeah, by the way, happens to be a fellow soldier and a leader and somebody who would have been very aware of this situation, somebody who probably wasn't too pleased, that Onesimus did what he did. Oh, by the way, if he's referred to as a soldier, we don't know if he was actually a soldier in the military, but somebody with a soldier's mindset doesn't have a lot of tolerance for a deserter. Not a lot of tolerance for a deserter. So, could it be that Archippus got carried away with Philemon's problems? Could it be that this situation became headlines so much that He kind of lost track of his own ministry and stuck his nose in Philemon's business. So I want you to stop here for a second and just think about this because I put in in your notes for you a perspective check. Even if people are doing wrong, God can still use it. That's a good spot for an amen. Even if people are doing wrong, God can still use it, man. I mean, he's greater than all of our lives and all of our problems and all of our circumstances, right? Right? I mean, God is able to do it. So Onesimus, without question, was wrong in running away. But he got saved in the process. Does that mean that everybody should run away from their responsibilities and hope? No, that's not what it means. It means that God still used it. That's all it means. So now he can return to Philemon, continue to carry out his responsibilities, but now as a brother, not just as a slave, now he's part of the family family. It's entirely different. He's going to make things, he's actually going to go back and make things right. Shouldn't that adjust the perspective of Philemon, don't you think? The fact that now that he's saved and he's going to come back, shouldn't that adjust his perspective? Shouldn't it adjust your perspective when things go wrong around you? When things happen that are unjust to you? or maybe to your friends, or maybe just in general, and you get so carried away with the general injustice. I'm not saying live your life with blinders. I'm saying don't lose focus of the ministry God gave you to do. Apparently, that's what happened. What went wrong? Well, that's, that's what we see. Archippus is being told that he needs to focus on his own ministry. He obviously got involved in somebody else's ministry that God never called him to do. Archippus had no direct role, he had no way of affecting positive change in this situation. He was just sticking his nose in somebody else's business. And God said, Hey, man, pay attention. Hey, look, behold, take heed. I Get back to what I called you to do. Get back to doing what I asked you to do. I'll take care of them. I can handle those guys. You do your thing. Because here's the deal. When you involve yourself in other people's responsibilities, you know who's not doing your responsibilities? <laughs> you, or nobody else for that matter. When you abdicate your responsibilities to go somewhere else, nobody's doing yours. And, oh yeah, by the way, God gave you yours so that it would get done. So we need to make sure that we do that. Now, I do have a personal story. I always have a personal story. (laughs) And I don't always enjoy sharing my personal stories. But this one's not so bad, so I don't mind. But I was in Albania back in the year 2000. And in my a situation just like this happened. So the church that I was sent from was going through some challenges. And what was happening is that the pastor was beginning to preach some messages that were contrary to the established doctrine of the church historically. And the issue that he was getting involved in happened to be uh, an issue of what we sometimes refer to as prosperity gospel preaching. And so the idea that and things were said that Jesus Christ is rich, he was a wealthy man, and that, you know, if by your faith in Christ, you also will experience material prosperity and all this kind of thing. Anyways, and so the believers in the church, not unlike this church in size and and history and discipleship and stuff, the, the believers in the church were incensed. They were taught better than that. They knew the Bible themselves, as you do, and if I got up and started preaching something crazy, you should know better. You should know enough of the Bible to know and call me on it. Well, anyways, they were getting kind of stirred up and weren't exactly sure who to talk to and why and what and how all they played it out. I'm not 100% sure, but I know I'm in Albania. I mean, I'm 6,000 miles away, and I'm starting to get emails. And so people who were in the church who were friends of mine were writing me emails and saying, hey, did you hear? Hey, do you know what they said? Hey, do you know? And I was (laughs) no. And they said, well, what do you think about that? I want to know what you think about that. And I thought to myself, this is a quandary. (laughs) Because the truth of the matter is, I would not have agreed with this new line of preaching and teaching. It's not like I'm not aware of the fact that there are people who want to propagate that stuff. But I, I didn't actually agree with you know, what was being taught. It was a deviation from what I understand the scriptures to teach. But as I was praying, and I and fortunately was wise enough to just go to the Lord first, God gave me Colossians 4.17. And he specifically showed me, like he said to Archbis, Hey, Archbis, take heed to the ministry I gave you. And I thought, that's my answer. You know what? Whatever they do over there, at the end of the day, that's their business. And that's God's business. Jesus Christ is alive and well back in the United States. He can do whatever he needs to do in that situation. It's none of my business and so, they're my friends. I didn't just ignore them. I said, you know what? I don't know anything about that. Why don't you just pray that the Lord take care of it? I'm staying out of it. I'm kind of busy. And you know what? At the end of the day, God blessed that. I mean, go figure. He of course he blessed that. He helped establish our ministry from 2000 going forward, we saw the greatest foundational establishment and growth and development of leaders who are continuing today. I'm not saying it was solely because of that event, but I think it contributed to that event. So here's your application point. Keep your focus on the ministry God gave you. Trust God enough to handle others' situations that don't concern you. Amen? trust God enough with that can you possibly do that can you trust God enough that he is able to handle those situations you may observe but it's not your job it's it's not your it's not your task it's not your ministry we do we get carried away with other people's problems we get carried away with other people's ministries sometimes it's just good old-fashioned gossip we veil it in a prayer request But we stick our nose in business that we have no business. Something happens in the body. We love our brothers and sisters. We are offended on their behalf. I get it. It's natural. We get offended on their behalf. But the problem is, that's not the specific role that we've been given to solve. So we need to be careful. Should you find yourself? Oh, you will find yourself in those situations if you have not. When you find yourself in such a situation, can I offer to you the suggestion of prayer? How about we just pray that God be glorified and situations be taken care of? That's always a good choice. So let's go back to Colossians and remember that just before verse 17, we hear Laodicea, Laodicea, Laodicea. Well, one of the characteristics then of Laodicea, the time in which we live, is that too many people let their circumstances over, overcome them. And they get personally offended. So the admonition that we see given to Archippus, it's an admonition given to all of us. I mean, especially if you're a mature believer, right? I mean, if you have found yourself in the trenches, in the battlefield over years, if you have been shot at for the name of the Lord, okay, you're a soldier. And so take heed. That's all he's saying, take heed. The temptation is is to get involved. The temptation is, is to go solve everybody's problems in the name of defending the faith. But the truth is, if we really want to defend the faith, well, let's find out what the faith says. I think God already addressed it in Romans chapter 14. So you could read the entire chapter. I hope that you will. I'm just going to bring out a few verses in Romans 14. It starts out saying, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. There are certain circumstances addressed in Romans 14. It doesn't really matter for this conversation right now. What he's going to enter into a conversation about eating meats or not eating meats and all that sort of thing. The idea is this. Hey, mature Christian, you may not agree with what other people are doing. Whatever you do, don't go argue with them about it. Not to doubtful disputation. Don't dispute with others about things that are doubtful. Go down to verse number four of that chapter. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? Oh yeah, Archbis. Onesimus is whose servant? Is he yours? No. He's Philemon's. Oh, wait a minute. He's also Christ's servant. But not yours, last time I checked. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? Notice, to his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. By the way, have you ever read verse 4 in Romans 14 and just thought for a second, when you judge another man's servant to take him down, When you cross the line of judgment, God steps in and holds him up. Judge away, friend. You just invoked God holding him up when maybe that's not even what needs to happen. But The Lord is smart enough to figure it all out. We're not smart enough. A little further down, verses 10, 11, and 12. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of his brother. No, of himself to God. I don't know about (laughs) y'all. My list of stuff to worry about is plenty long. Plenty long. And for me to just voluntarily take your list on me is dumb. And it's dumb because it's dumb, and it's dumb because God says it's dumb. So don't get preoccupied with some ministry that God didn't give to you. Because if you do, then you'll never really deal with what our third point in the message is, the purpose of Archippus. And the last part of verse 17, that thou fulfill it. Fulfill. It's not hard. Fill it full. Finish the task. So we're going to talk about fulfilling the ministry. Fulfilling the ministry. Well, I thought you just said the work of the Lord is never done until he comes. How in the world am I supposed to fulfill that? If I can't, I'm glad you asked. Good question. That's true. However, the specific task that he has given me can be completed. And I'm going to prove it to you. Certainly, God is the one and only true Lord of the harvest. God is the only one who can properly move the pieces around on the board to make sure everybody is where they are when they need to be there so that he can achieve the end result that he wants to achieve, right? We would all agree with that. And a great example of that is the story of Philip in Acts chapter 8. And if you're familiar with the story, in Acts chapter 8, the believers from Jerusalem, there's this great persecution and they're scattered abroad, the whole region, and they go about preaching the gospel into Samaria. Something they hadn't tried yet. And when they were doing that, what happened is they got to the point where they realized, man, these Samaritans are getting saved like crazy. And there's an amazing revival going on in Samaria. And Philip, the only man in all the Bible who's referred to specifically with the title, the evangelist, was in the midst of this amazing revival in Acts chapter 8 in Samaria. And while things are just cranking along, man, and glory to God, people are getting saved, God tells Philip to leave and to go out in the desert of Gaza. And I gotta think that if I was there working alongside Philip, I'd be like, yo, Phil, where are you going, man? Things are happening here and we need you. And where, what, what, are you quitting? What are you doing? But God knew that there was a eunuch of the country of Ethiopia who was reading in Isaiah and needed somebody to explain the scriptures. He needed somebody to be in Gaza so he could meet up with the chariot, so he could lead the Ethiopian to Christ, so that the Ethiopian goes back to his country and begins his own revival. But somebody had to go do that, so God moves Philip from one place of service and puts him in a new place of service. It might have sounded crazy to Philip. It probably sounded crazy to the people around him. Let me tell you something. Each one of us needs to be open to whatever God's plan is for each and every one of us. Amen? So here's the thing I want you to learn. There is a difference between the work and my work. That's what I want you to get. The work of the Lord is the thing that will never be completed until God says, time out, we're done. Time is over. I'm taking over. The work of the Lord continues. But my work continues The specific thing he gave me to do can be completed. There's no question about it. So I'm going to give you some examples. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 5. Paul writes to Timothy, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. Notice, make full proof of thy ministry. Timothy has a specific ministry, and he has to make full proof of it. Two verses down, verse number seven. Paul then says, I've fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. He's near the end of his life, and he realizes, I have done all of the things that the Lord has specifically asked me to do. And he talks about earning a crown of righteousness as a result. Jesus Christ himself, early in his earthly ministry in John chapter four, and verse number 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work, which he did, because in John chapter 17 and verse number 4, and this is before the crucifixion, he's praying to the Father and he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So Jesus Christ had a specific task for his earthly ministry, and he was on the, on the precipice of the cross. But he says, I have finished the work that you gave me to do, which specifically in context deals with preparing the disciples to carry on once he's gone. So there's going to be a rearranging of the chess pieces. The work of the Lord will continue, but some of the characters and the players are going to change a little bit. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's exactly what God intends. Finish your work that you set out to do. We see that in Luke 14, starting in verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish it. So we have a theme here right? You set out and say you're going to start and do something. You're going to take on some responsibility and you're going to try and help and do something. But if you don't count the cost and see it through to its end, as far as your responsibility is concerned, well, you are then fodder for people to be mocking. Not just you, but the name of the Lord, because it's not getting done. So in real life, We see pastors and missionaries and and just regular Christians move from one ministry assignment to a new ministry assignment. Why is that? Well, barring the situation where there happened to be sin involved, maybe he just finished the work that God gave him to do, right? I mean, that's possible, isn't it? I mean, maybe somebody else needs to carry on. I mean, the only problem would be is if he just quit. The only problem would be is if there was nobody to carry on, right? If he didn't finish his task, then there's work left undone. And so, again, if I go back to my story, and and this will be very brief, but in 2004 and 2005, I saw that the work that I was given to do in Albania was nearing completion. Why? Because I saw the maturity and the development of the churches that we began. And I saw that the the local believers were fully functional in carrying on 100% of the tasks that I carried. And they were fully capable of doing them all on their own before the Lord without my presence anymore. And I saw that my end was coming, and it was time for me to depart. It was time for me to relinquish to them the ability to continue. We heard a little bit about that this morning. And so the idea is is that it came to a point where it was very clear that while the work of the Lord still continues both there and here and wherever, my work there was done, which, by the way, is the job of a missionary, which, by the way, should be all of our jobs before the Lord, and that is to work ourselves out of a job. To complete the task we have been given, we call it discipleship, by the way, to train up others who can do it. I mean, when I left the United States to go to Albania, I was leading the middle school ministry, and I had guys that worked with me in that ministry, and I got a guy trained up and prepared, and when he was ready, then I went. I mean, it just works that way. So always be training, always be replacing yourself. If you do that, there's always a role for you because there are not near enough trainers. There are not near enough people who can do that effectively. There's always room. If I train up somebody to do what I'm doing here, and they can do it just as effectively, and then I move over here, let him do that. Now I'm going to do something new. Now more work is getting done, because we've not neglected this, but something new is now being done, right? That's what we're talking about. That's why the admonition to Archbishop is so important. Hey, you got to finish what you did, what you started. So back to your notes. There is a common problem today, and that's that people labor without an exit strategy. And I don't care. I'm not just talking about people who travel around the world like missionaries. Every single one of us should have a specific ministry that we believe God has given to us to fulfill. Some of them are written in black and white in your Bible. For example, the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of making disciples. So wherever you are, you should have your ministry and you should sense God gave that to you. Then we should pray for a measurable target or a goal. What would completion look like? And then we work towards that end we work towards training replacements so that they can take over what we're doing and we can move on and do something that nobody's doing and more work gets done, like I said. I mean, think about it for for a second. Because staying in one place too long can even make sweet water stink. I mean, if you're constantly and forever locked into one thing... I mean, maybe that's not, maybe you're not really doing your job very well. I I love it when, look, Christians in this church want, they they serve faithfully for a period of time and they just sense it's time for me to do something different. They're not just quitting. I I would like to do a different kind of ministry. Man, when, when the people have come to me and asked me that, frequently they don't, but often they have and. If you come to me with that kind of a desire, I want you to know, and the people who have done that can stand up and testify that this is true, I will do everything in my power to help you make that transition. I will do everything I can to get you where you feel you need to be, but we're going to make the transition right, okay? Because at the end of the day, if you're just a runner, well, that's not helping anybody, right? I mean, that's just carnality. And so when we talk about the Avant team, I mean, they went into that ministry, with an exit strategy. Well, praise the Lord. That's fantastic. So my question for you is, do you have a specific ministry? Those of you who are regulars in this church, in this church, do you have a specific ministry that you would say, God gave me this ministry. I feel the ownership for this specific thing. You might say, I am personally discipling a young man. And so... Until we're done, we're not done. (laughs) And I'm going to stick with it until we're done. Now, if the guy runs off, okay, I can't help that, but I'm not quitting. I'm not quitting. But if you're thinking in your heart, man, you know, I just feel like it's time for me to move on and do something different. Well, praise the Lord. I, I rejoice with you. Let's just make sure that you're going to make a smooth transition. Let's just make sure that you're doing your task until your task is completed, successfully hand it off, and go do your new task. Because if in your mind it's just, well, wait a minute, I, I'm, just, I'm just tired. I'm just tired and I want to complete my task, but I don't want a new task. I want, I want the no-task task. Well, This wasn't part of my notes, but I I can't help but think about it. If I can find this reference really quickly. Let me see if I can find it. Sorry. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. There it is. Verse number 7. It won't be on the screen because I just thought of it. This is for you who might have been thinking that last thing I just said. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. Oh, that sounds great. When? When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That's when. <laughs> Are you troubled? Do you want to rest? That's what the millennium's about. We're going to rest. That'll be awesome. But now's the day of work. Now now's the day that we need to be at, about the Lord's business. Um, the last thing I have in your notes just as an admonition. Um, if you're just quitting Obviously, you're free. You can choose whatever you want. But if you're just quitting, you're not finishing the ministry. You're not finishing the task. You're not finishing the work that God gave you to do. If you can successfully train somebody, if you can work that out, man, that, that is such a fruitful thing to do. Plan to do that for the rest of you, your life wherever you are. And, man, God is going to use you. I mean, when a person makes that kind of a transition, let me just tell you, everybody benefits. We can rejoice. We could support that. We can get excited about that. And that's an important thing to keep in mind as you consider what it is you're doing. All right, I'm going to pray. We're going to pray together. And let me just say this while we're praying. I know I didn't talk about the gospel. I know I didn't reference how you can know that you're saved. But let me just say, like I like to always say, if you're here today and you're just not sure that you know the Lord Jesus is your Savior, listen, man, there is no life for you outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. He offers eternal life, and it's a free gift. And if you would just like to surrender in your heart to his lordship and ask him to forgive you your sins and give you the free gift of eternal life, he'll do that for you. So let's pray together.